This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome Dr. Kristen Salmer to the show. Dr. Kristen has a PhD in early cognitive development and is a mom of a two-year-old. I discovered her on my For You page on TikTok, where she was speaking all kinds of truths about parenting, child development, and real motherhood. Today, Dr. Kristen is here to speak with us about after-school restraint collapse. You may have never heard that term before, but I can guarantee you, if you've experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The moment when your kids get home from school or you pick up your child from daycare and they completely come unglued. In recent years, there has been a term developed for this phenomenon that so many parents experience. And Dr. Kristen is here with us today to help us understand why this happens, the factors that contribute to it, the difference between a true meltdown and a tantrum, how to support your child through after-school restraint collapse, and also, importantly, how we can help to regulate our own stress during these big meltdown times. This is a really relatable episode. I've lived those moments just like you have, and let's learn how to manage them with Dr. Kristen. When was the last time you truly felt like yourself? If you're not sure about the answer, it's time to think about your mental health. As moms, we often put ourselves on the back burner. From the moment our babies are born, our days and nights are full of responsibility, leaving it hard to sleep well, eat properly, exercise, or take care of ourselves. The more we neglect our own needs, the worse our mental health can become, leading to depression, anxiety, or other mental health struggles. But your mental health matters. The Happiest Mother Wellness Center can help. We have a growing team of mom therapists across Canada ready to offer teletherapy services. With teletherapy, you can save time and hassle by accessing virtual appointments from anywhere on your desktop, laptop, tablet, or phone. We know you're busy, so we make it as simple as possible to connect with a therapist. It's time to put yourself back on the priority list. Visit happyasamother.co slash book to schedule your free consult today. That's happyasamother.co slash book. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Kristen, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today from literally the other side of the world. I'm starting to wrap up my day. You're up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed to begin your day. (laughs) I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. I'm super excited to be here. You were pivotal in my early motherhood journey, so I'm very excited. Oh, that's so exciting to hear. I love finally getting to engage in this way with other clinicians and people who who have interacted with because, I don't know, we just kind of are isolated in our own work, doing our own content creation thing. And it's so rare that we really get to engage in this way. Mm-hmm. And I was saying off air, I was chuckling because I'm like, we've got to have a conversation about, you know, this restraint collapse after school. And I had just messaged you or realized I'd messaged you about it previously as well. So Mm. it's a topic that's been tugging on my mind. And I think it'll be so relevant for so many. Mm. I'm curious how you came to specialize in like early cognitive development, like this parenting space. How did this come about for you in your research in school? Oh, gosh. So I did an undergraduate in psychology like every person who intends to go into clinical work and halfway, not halfway through, like three quarters of the way through my education, I realized that 
I wasn't the type of person that could handle treating children that were non-typically developing or who like were struggling in certain areas, dealing with trauma, because I just, I'm such a high empathy, like vicarious stress kind of person. So it just wasn't Mm. the right space for me. And I was honest with myself three quarters of the way through my education. And at the time I was also doing research because for the final year of our studies in a psych degree in Australia, we do a research project and I fell in love with it. So Mm. I kind of was just like, well, I like this. I'll just keep going. And so I went and did research in kids in a PhD, which is just more research again. And I actually did my PhD on how children learn from screens and robots. So Mm. very far from the content I generally provide on like TikTok, Mm -hmm. my specific research streams are on early cognitive development with technology. And then I also have been teaching developmental psychology in some capacity since 2015 Mm. and was a lecturer in the topic last year so I convened courses like a big course on it for second year undergraduates so I have a really general understanding of developmental psychology as well Mm -hmm. and I just noticed that science isn't well communicated to people outside of academia it's not accessible to parents it takes like 17 years or something for evidence to come from people like me who create it into policy and into the hands of parents. So Mm. yeah, I started pushing towards science communication. And then when I became a mother for the first time and was completely assaulted by the uh, (laughs) misinformation on social media um, about babies, yeah, about babies and children, I was very passionate about making sure that no one else was ever made to feel the way I was because I had postnatal anxiety and depression Mm. and the social media messaging made it that much worse, even though I have a doctorate in early cognitive development and I logically knew that none of the things that were being said on social media were true. It still felt to me like I was the only one with a child that wouldn't sleep, that wouldn't be put down, Mm. that was highly sensitive and all these kinds of things. So yeah, I just wanted to contribute to the alternative messaging, which is that there is evidence-based parenting out there, that there is a bunch of evidence that guides the way we raise our children and that all children respond differently and that the generic parenting advice that works for a lot of people doesn't work for everyone. And yeah, so I kind of fell into the parenting space. I didn't intend to be a parenting content creator and I don't know Mm. if I am a parenting content creator, but I'm definitely grouped into that category. Yeah, Um, I just like to share the science behind things and ways that we can help our kids navigate the world based on the scientific knowledge that we do have that is forever evolving. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's kind of how I got a PhD and ended up in content creation. In TikTok, right? Like your PhD, so like that was in your program, right? Teaching you how to be a TikTok creator. No, nope, it wasn't. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Social media is like a big component of the PhD. No, it's absolutely, no one teaches us how to do this. I I have stumbled. I have learned this whole way through and I'm sure you've experienced the same thing as you've built your platform. It is interesting. (laughs) Yes, it certainly is. And yeah, there's lots that comes with branching out of the limitations we put on ourselves as academics and clinicians to step into Mm -hmm. this space. That is a whole shift that we have to go through. I had to chuckle the other day as I'm scrolling my For You page and you pop up and you're like, this might be an unpopular opinion, but, and you had taken on, I can't remember exactly what it was, something about gentle parenting mm-hmm. or like, there's not always a, a need underlying every behavior. And I think it's so funny and fitting because we're going to talk behavior today, right? And it's, it <laughs> yeah. is so, I had to chuckle and you were like, yeah, you had to put it out there and then you got all these comments and you know what it's like with a comment section and everyone has an opinion mm-hmm. and we all know how that goes. Mm-hmm. So But I find your perspective to be very grounded and rooted and like neutral and not really swinging the pendulum one way or the other in an extreme. And I really can appreciate that because it kind of feels like we end up in these polar camps that are sort of at war sometimes in the parenting world. And so when we're talking behavior today and we're talking specifically after school restraint collapse, Mm -hmm. and we're going to unpack what that even means, but I heard about it and finally it gave language to our experience in our home. Mm -hmm. We're doing it from a really like scientific, developmental, neutral standpoint, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We aren't here for shaming parents, guilting parents, telling them that it's their fault, which 
gentle parenting can sometimes get misinterpreted as saying that it's the parent's fault if the child's behavior isn't perfect all the time. Mm. So yeah, we bring like evidence-based parenting kind of makes people feel safer because we ground it in the science rather than grounding it in the actions of the parents because it's the parents are doing the best they can. So yeah. Yeah, doing the best they can with what they've got. And I'm going to paint a picture here for you and for everybody (laughs) listening, okay? (laughs) I have three boys, one of whom is particularly spirited. I probably talk about him quite a bit. And he is sensitive and he has big feelings Mm -hmm. and he has a hard time controlling his body. And I sent him to school and I'm like, Huh, like there hasn't been any calls home from school. Like I'm curious how he's doing there. He just started junior kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And so we had the opportunity to meet with his teacher and did his progress report to check in on him. And we're like, oh, like how's he doing at home? Very hands-on, very impulsive, lots of redirecting, very just sort of like intense, like needs a lot of redirection and, and things like that. And they're like, He's wonderful. He's like one of the most perfectly behaved students. He, you know, is so helpful (laughs) and everybody gets such a laugh out of him and whatever. And my husband and I just look at each other like, (laughs) is this the same child that they're referring to? But he comes in the door and we'll pick him up. He'll walk in. And I'm thinking about it just like it happens every single day. I can just picture it so clearly. Right now it's wintertime. He comes in in all his winter gear. He hasn't even stepped over the threshold of the door yet. And he's on the floor. He's rolling around. He's throwing his gloves everywhere. And like there has not even been an interaction that has happened yet. Right. And so I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Does the house just like break him? Does he just like, <laughs> is there something? It's like Casita from Encanto. Right? Like, is there something about being at home that just like casts a spell on this child and he falls apart? Like, and I know that that's not the case. And I have a lot of context for this behavior. We have a lot of strategies mm. in place, but others might not. And so mm. can we give a language to what the heck this experience might be? Yeah. So this could be after school restraint collapse. And now I had no idea what this was either um, until one of my followers asked me in the comments section of one of my videos many months ago, can you talk about this? And I was like, no, but I'm going to do some research because this sounds rad. Like this sounds like it explains so much. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I went and did some research. There isn't actually any research studies on after school restraint collapse yet, Mm. but we encourage budding young researchers to go and do it because it would be really interesting to look at what interventions work best. But this is what we know about after-school restraint collapse. We know that as humans, not just children, that we have a certain amount of self-regulation capacity to take throughout the day. And as the day wears on, we get tired, we get hungry, we get tired, we get sore, our brain hurts, we've done too many decisions. And we get to a point where we're just like, I am done. Like, I can't do this anymore. I can't hold myself together anymore. And I just want to fall apart. But kids don't always feel comfortable, just like adults don't feel comfortable at work, falling apart at school. So as soon as they see someone that feels safe to them or walks into a home that that is home and it's safe and it's comfortable, they can just crumble. They can let out all the frustration, all the tiredness, the hunger, the missing mom and dad. They can let it all out and just know that it's safe to do it there. So they keep it together at school because they know that it's socially appropriate to be together at school. Mm. And then they let it all out when they get home because they know that it's there is no social expectations at home. It is a safe space. They don't have to mask any of their behaviors. They don't have to pretend like everything is okay for everyone that's around them watching. They just get to let it all hang out. So yeah, that's after school restraint collapse. It's just kind of the idea that like you've used up all of your self-regulation abilities throughout the day and it's time to just let it go. And it's, I think it's emotionally healthy because you don't want to continually hold that inside because that is physically very exhausting. Mm. And yeah, it's, it's pretty endearing to parents with children who do this because although it's a difficult behavioral thing to experience, it lets you know that your child has a really secure attachment relationship with you. You are their safe space, their safe haven, their secure base. 
they are showing you every part of themselves and they feel safe to do that because you've created this relationship where they know that they are going to be unconditionally accepted no matter what the behavior. So Hmm. yeah, that's kind of what after school restraint collapse is, Mm -hmm. I think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And would you say, like, I've got three boys Mm -hmm. and they don't all experience this. Mm -hmm. And the one that does we suspect is like neurodivergent, probably ADHD, which through going through assessing him, we've realized that I'm ADHD at 34 years old. I'm finally (laughs) finding this out for the first freaking time. Mm-hmm. And thanks to TikTok, who could like sniff out my ADHD-ness, <laughs> the algorithm right. in one sitting. Yeah. So is this something that like every child experiences or would you say this is according to maybe temperament or maybe neurodivergent children would experience it more? I think you're right on all aspects. Mm-hmm. I think there's a component of temperament. I think there's an, a component of neurodivergence. I think there is, I actually have some notes on this because there is one more that I think contributes to it as well yeah just emotional states hunger states overstimulation tiredness so not all children experience it and not all children will experience it all the time because it's really situational for a lot of kids so if a kid's been sick and they've just got like a cold or something things are just kind of bugging them in the background so they've got that like drain on their regulation capacities because they're like trying to keep their sneezes and their coughs in and then on top of that they're still trying to manage school at the same time So, yeah, temperament definitely has an aspect because kids with a chill temperament, their body, their nervous system doesn't get quite as worked up during the day that they then have to push it back down, right? Like Mm. chill kids, their nervous system is just more like consistent so they aren't having to manage quite as many stresses. And similarly, neurodivergent kids, they have more difficulties just fitting into a world that isn't designed for their brain. Mm. So they're trying to mask behaviors or they're trying to make their brain work in a way that is designed for a normal brain, not theirs. And so all of these things kind of contribute to just like piling on top that like the level of stress and frustration that they're experiencing. And I think I've got a video on TikTok that's probably pretty far back in my feed now. I should repost it. It's a video of, you know, those like the Grimm's kind of rainbow with the different like colors. Mm -hmm. And in that video, I'm explaining how much capacity children have to tolerate certain things before they fall apart. And then I show how much adults have. So an adult has a full rainbow and when they stub their toe, they lose one rung of the rainbow. And when they get a call that wasn't so great about work, they lose another rung of the rainbow. And then their kid screams at them and then they lose another rung of the rainbow. And all of a sudden they get to this point where there's no rainbows left. They've just got their like last piece and then, you know, something bad happens and they just lose it. They yell at their kid, they yell at their spouse it's such an inconsequential thing that's happened, but it's given this big reaction because they've just been bombarded all day by hard things. Mm. And so they eventually just reach this breaking point. And with kids, they have less rungs of the rainbow than an adult. So things get harder and harder as well. And with school, they have this added pressure of social behavior and kids are really tuned in to social behaviors. They There's social norms that they really need to adhere to. This is actually the research I do. I look at how kids follow social norms and how rigid they are and they're super rigid so they don't want to deviate from the social norm and certain behaviors would look like deviating from social norms so they then are pushing themselves not to go some of those behaviors to maybe let off the steam like think like a pressure cooker like Mm -hmm. letting off the steam a little bit so it doesn't explode but yeah they can't let out some of their behaviors that they are suppressing because of social pressures and yeah, it kind of just turns into a powder keg at the end of the day where they just let it all out when they can. But yet some kids don't have that pressure build. Some kids are neurotypical and have a chill kind of temperament. So their body never gets worked up. They don't ever feel like they need to suppress certain behaviors because the world is designed for their brain. And yeah, it just means that these kids have an easier time at school and throughout the day and throughout their life. And yeah, that's why... Some kids have after-school restraint collapse and some don't. If your Mm. child doesn't have after-school restraint collapse, it doesn't mean that you're not their safe space. It probably means that they have a different temperament and a different way of their brain working. So, yeah, that's kind of the difference between the kids that do get it and don't get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting because when I reflect on our experience, it's definitely more with my son, who I suspect is neurodivergent. And he also is one that struggles to 
regulate his body at home, right? Like Mm -hmm. just very in people's personal space and Mm -hmm. is the one shrieking and using outdoor voices. And so when he comes in, he kind of collapses on the floor. Mm -hmm. There's lots of yelling. There's lots of shrieking. There's lots of flailing of his body, which is sort of the opposite of what he could do all day long. And now Mm -hmm. we kind of like know what's going to happen. And usually with me, I can ease my way in and get him up in a big bear hug, walk him to the dinner table. We sit together like, Mm -hmm. and we can ease our way in. Mm -hmm. Usually once meltdown has happened and he comes and he eats, we're sort of on with the rest of our night. Usually it might kind of resurface again at some point, but for the most part, we're on with the rest of our evening. And one thing I wanted to ask you and maybe clarify is this isn't like tantrum behavior, right? This is not like, I want to throw this tantrum right now because, you know, can we differentiate that meltdown, I guess, or that collapse from tantruming? Yeah, look, tantrums, I always talk about tantrums and meltdowns on a continuum. I don't think that they are two separate behaviors. I think that they sit at different ends because I think they can both lead, like tantrums can lead to a meltdown because the child's body can continue getting worked up. Obviously, lots of tantrums are just like 10 seconds and done because you told them, no, Mm. you can't have that. And they have a big tantrum about it. But meltdowns sit at the other end of the spectrum where there's less control over their body. There's less control over their actions. And their nervous system is far more worked up. Siobhan, my friend from Science Minded, talks about meltdowns as panic attacks, right? Mm. So if you've ever had a panic attack, it's not something you can control. It's actually really hard to get a handle of. And it's usually got to do with the emotions that you are either suppressing or that you don't understand and that are really scary for you. So when I had panic attacks as a new mom, I didn't know that there were panic attacks caused by the emotions and the thoughts that were swirling in my head. And the same thing goes for children because we don't know what they are. They're very scary. So emotions are really scary to kids. So meltdowns can be huge and look like panic attacks because they are because kids can't get a handle on them Hmm. because they don't know that their emotions that those emotions will pass and that they're not in physical danger because their body starts to have this nervous system reaction where it starts to make them nauseous and shaking and dizzy and all these kinds of things so you've got those two ends of the meltdown tantrum spectrum where one is a visceral response that they couldn't, it's a, it's a communication because they don't have a better communication for it in that moment. And then meltdowns are the physiological response to the emotions that they don't understand, but they're both elicited by a certain emotion and an inability to understand that emotion and communicate it. Mm. But after school restraint collapse definitely sits further towards the meltdown end of the spectrum because it is more about those emotions that have been repressed all day. So they've had to push them down all day and now they're bubbling to the surface and they're quite out of control. They're probably really scary for a kid to experience because they're just like, I can finally get home and let all these things out. And then they do let them out and they're very confronting and you don't know if they're going to end. So yeah, I would definitely say they sit more towards the meltdown end of the spectrum. So when a kid gets home and you're like, all right, time to do your homework. And they've literally just walked in the door. They've just had six hours of work at school. They've just been sitting still all day, repressing the urge to wiggle and dance and fidget, which is what kids should be doing when they're young. Mm -hmm. And you're like, you got to do your homework. And they just go, no, and like throw themselves on the floor and fall apart. I would say that that's not because they don't want to do their homework. That's because they have this need to move to decompress to connect with you because they haven't seen you all day because they need to run and jump and get all of that pent-up energy out and it's got nothing to do with the fact that they don't want to do their homework they can probably just do their homework in an hour after they've gone for a swim or had a dance party or play with their toys or had a snack all those kinds of things mealtime with kids can be stressful But with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, 
snacks and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. I think it's really helpful to frame it in that way because when we can't understand the behavior I find that sometimes as parents or even the generation before me and my parents would end up minimizing it like, oh, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, get over it or whatever. Like, you know, this is a routine or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I quite clearly see sometimes with each of the boys that they just know they really can't like they're really stuck in this Mm -hmm. moment and they're having a hard time. And my like pushing or bulldozing through does not help to regulate them in that moment. Right. And so I'm curious what our best ways maybe to support our children that are coming home feeling maybe very wound up or overwhelmed from their day, overstimulated, lots of contributing factors there. How can we best support them? Yeah, absolutely. So in my research of our score restraint collapse, there's been quite a few psychologists that have delved into this and start to practice it and teach it in their practices. And this is the things that most people tend to agree on. So these are ways to mitigate after-school restraint collapse. You're never going to get rid of it entirely. And even if you do everything right, every now and then, you're still going to end up having after-school restraint collapse. And that is very normal. It's an emotional expression and it's okay to let it out because it's healthier to let it out than to keep it in. Mm. But here's some things you can do to help your child navigate it once they get home. So at the end of the day, when they get home, you can offer connection because one of the theories is that children have what's called defensive detachment. So it could be that they're all wound up by having to hold themselves together all day, but it could also be because they miss you, Mm. especially for our really little kids who aren't really used to being apart from us. So defensive detachment is where they are really frustrated that they couldn't see us and they missed us and they're mad at us because we couldn't be there when they had this really hard thing happen and that's very fine and normal and it's no one's fault. So one of the ways that you can kind of 
mitigate after school restraint collapse when you get home is offer that connection. It's to sit down and play for even just 10 minutes of an uninterrupted time when you get home so that they know that you are there connecting with them, that you miss them too, and that they get all this special time with you tonight and tomorrow morning before school starts again. Mm-hmm. So you can offer connection. You can smile and hug and not ask any questions. Sometimes questions can be really overwhelming when you've already had a hard day. If you think about yourself after a big day of work where you've had to like tolerate so many things all day, just think about what you would like to happen. A lot of people get home from work and they just want to flop on the couch and watch TV and not talk to anyone, not do anything, just zone. Mm. And your kid experiences the exact same thing. They're also a human, just a smaller one with a different capacity to regulate their emotions and control their impulses. So if it's hard for you, it's probably even harder for your kid. So yeah, we try to avoid questions if your child is experiencing this because it makes them make another decision when they've already had to make so many all day and decisions can be really exhausting. So Mm. rather than asking them if they're hungry or what they want to eat, maybe just offer them some food that you know is reliable or like a grazing plate for snacks where like, you know, there's things that they will always eat so that they don't lose it if it's not the thing they want to eat. So yeah, trying to avoid decisions and questions and maybe putting on like if you're driving home from school or when they get home from school, put their favorite song on and draw their attention to the music and help their body move or draw their attention to the outside world. So kind of this idea of mindfulness, help them focus on things around them, get them to listen to the wind in the trees, get them to watch the way that the grass moves. This might not work for a lot of kids, but it will work for a few. And trying to find things that help your child get out of their thinking mind and into their observing mind, whatever it may be, can really help a child and an adult kind of bring their anxiety and stress levels back down by getting out of their brain because their thinking mind is negative. I know that adults have like 80% of their thoughts are negative. I don't know what the statistic is for children, Mm. but for adults, it's 80% of the time they're negative thoughts. And if you're forever sitting in those negative thoughts without a break, your anxiety and your stress and your nervous system just gets all wound up. So you want to let that go by bringing your brain into the observing mind. And for adults, that's like, sitting on the beach and listening to the waves and feeling the wind on your skin and feeling the way your body feels as it sits on the sand. And yeah, trying to find something you can do with kids to emulate that's really great as well. So one thing I do with my daughter is we do sensory play because that really gets her to focus on the way things feel and smell and taste and sound and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's kind of like the mindfulness idea Again, leave homework till later. That kind of helps. Let them play and decompress. Although play is like work for children because it's learning, just physical activity and exploring their creativity and letting them do an activity that they want to do for a minute because they've been told what to do all day Mm -hmm. can really help them decompress. And then some good ways to decompress that I've got down here is going for a walk, taking a bike ride swimming and if those things can't happen because you're in lockdown playing music and dancing or letting them be in a room where they can relax on their own terms playing board games to connect with you all those kinds of things and then trying to make it part of your daily rhythm or routine can really help as well so that they know what to expect because kids love routines they're really comfortable and they can be calming for neurodivergent kids specifically So having that daily rhythm of we get home from school, mum has snacks all ready to go, then we go for a swim and then we come inside and we play trucks and then we will do homework if there's homework and then we will wash up, get ready for dinner, have dinner and then have some quiet time and go to bed. Like having that kind of predictable routine can really help as well. Mm -hmm. It makes me think about my oldest when he first started daycare. Mm. I want to say he would have been like 18 months, two years or so when this was happening. And we had a good like 20 minute drive home from daycare and he would do a pretty solid day there until mm. like probably 530, depending on when I dropped him and whatnot. And inevitably he would fall apart on the way home. And mm-hmm. so we had to troubleshoot this because he would just like screech in the car the whole way and just be so like not content with life. And so we would do things like pack a snack, even if it was a small snack before we got home for dinner or little things to make that transition easier for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. Because we have to think like 
when they're losing it. This is at the tail end of our busy, long, stressful day too, depending on what we've got Mm -hmm. going on for work and in our day and in our lives. So half the time, he'll flop on the floor and I'm like, I just might join you. Like, that's also kind of how I'm feeling, (laughs) right? So it is also a tricky time of day for parents because Mm -hmm. we are on our last rung of capacity as well. Mm -hmm. And so navigating this, I like how you you talked about like, not necessarily preventing because we can't always prevent, but that mitigating or trying to intervene and proactively get on top of it so that we're not all just like rolling around on the floor having a meltdown at the end of the day, you know? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Like my daughter is the same. So she's always been a car screamer. So something that I make sure I do on the way home from daycare is I give her the phone and she watches a show because I'm on my last legs and driving when stressed and distracted by a screaming child isn't ideal. Mm -hmm. So our compromise is that she gets to watch a show on a device in the car on the way home. And that might not work for some people. And some people might be like, well, aren't you not connecting with your kid after not seeing them all day? But with my child and with a lot of kids that really find the car distressing to them and the inability to touch their parents again, sometimes something like that can be a solution. I don't need to talk to her on the way home because she doesn't want to be spoken to after she's been picked up from kindy. She just wants to cuddle. She wants to breastfeed. She's only two and a half but she still loves breastfeeding so that's something that we still do Mm -hmm. and she can't do that so with the car trip we do the next best thing that keeps her body calm and that's to watch a video on the phone and that's so fine lots of people I know will take their kid to the playground straight after kindy Mm. to get all those wiggles out I mean they've done nothing but play all day like if they're in daycare but it doesn't matter they want to play with their parents they want that time to connect and be out in nature which we all know makes people feel better and so yeah there's different things that people can try and what works for one person may not work for another but know that there shouldn't be any guilt around what helps you survive the end of the day and one thing I have done more recently because I am prone to panic attacks and I have higher anxiety since having a child is I do a guided meditation at the end of my work day Mm -hmm. no matter how hard my day has been I need to bring myself back down to a reasonable baseline so that when I pick my child up I have like a longer tether a longer fuse to be able to navigate what I know is going to be a challenging afternoon because she does experience after school restraint class because she is such a highly sensitive child. So yeah, I make sure that my body is ready to receive her and help her navigate that. And I'm not always perfect. No one is. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I try to help myself knowing that it's going to be a more difficult afternoon. Yeah. And I love that idea. And I think about it as you're talking about your video, which I'd love to link it in the show notes and in our blog post too, about the rungs on the rainbow. Mm. And we do things that pull from our capacity in the day, but we also do things that can like restore and recharge them. And Mm -hmm. I consciously prepare myself before all three kids come home. And it's like a stampede in here with three like nearly school age boys at this point. It would be. Ninja training camp and all the things. And so I like make sure I've had a snack. I make sure that I have a breather and I'm not transitioning Mm -hmm. right from one meeting I try my best anyways to do this and that I've had a moment to collect myself or maybe even clear my emails and notifications so that's not weighing on me Mm -hmm. so that I can be present or be a part of that transition. So Mm -hmm. I think that so much of helping them manage this is also helping us manage ourselves so that we can effectively Mm -hmm. show up because evenings are hard. Evenings are hard for a lot of families. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of transitions in a short period of time we're going from daycare to dinner time to bath and bedtime. Like there's a lot of transitions condensed in a short period and it can be intense sometimes. So making sure we've done something to give ourselves a little boost or a little recharge before going into the after school time, I find is something that's been really helpful and successful for me as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important to remind everyone that After school restraint collapse isn't exclusively for children. Mm. It's also after work restraint collapse. If we're kind to our kids, we need to be kind to ourselves. We need to parent ourselves the way we parent our children with kindness and understanding and empathy and knowing that we're not always going to get it right and knowing that we're going to make mistakes. Even in this, like, especially in the after school time, we're going to make mistakes. 
parents are going to fall apart and yell because they're just so wound up as well. And when you fall apart in the after-school time, when you make it worse by yelling, the only thing you need to do is apologize Mm. and make amends. You don't need to feel guilty and feel like I shouldn't have yelled, I never should have yelled. No, it's human. Everyone gets wound up Mm -hmm. because you're also suffering after-school restraint collapse. All you need to do is make amends. You just need to apologize. It's called rupture and repair and attachment Mm -hmm. theory where there's a rupture like yelling and then there's a repair. And what you're doing is really beautiful too and really important for kids to see because you're showing kids that adults make mistakes too, that it's okay to make mistakes. And then you're modeling how to regulate your own body after losing it. And all of these things are things that children learn by watching. So they know that they are normal. They know that as they grow, that it's acceptable and okay to do these things. And this is how we fix them afterwards. Mm -hmm. So even if you fail in that after-school time, know that you are not failing because you are educating your child on something that's really important. That's knowing that perfection is not the goal, but being a good person and progress and apologizing for our actions, that's the goal. Mm Mm-hmm. It's so crucial. And Psyched Mummy and I have actually a masterclass on how to repair when we've lost our cool because inevitably we're human and we do, right? Mm -hmm. And meetings might go over time and I may not get that time for myself. Mm -hmm. We have three boys homesick right now and they're running fevers and stuffy noses. And you know what? Like they're not really thrilled with life and it's more taxing on us as parents. So Mm -hmm. there will be things that come up for us, right? That tax our capacity more on certain days than others and we're human. It's understandable. I think the goal with all of this is not perfection. It's not to eradicate mm-hmm. after school restraint collapse for you or your child. It is to navigate it the best that you can and to accept yourself for the flaws and mistakes and failures that you might have and then to come back from them, to repair from them and to try again tomorrow and see if you can't make it a 5% less intense mm-hmm. experience. <laughs> So yeah, progress, not perfection with all these kinds of things. Yeah, I love it. And I feel like we're so aligned on all of these things. These are Mm. our major topics and themes that we talk about on the podcast. I love it. (laughs) And one of my questions was asking, does this end? But you sort of answered it. It sounds like the feeling or the experience doesn't end, but maybe the way that we mask it gets better. Because it sounds like this can carry into adulthood, this experience of overwhelm, overstimulation at the end of the day, transitioning back to our safe environment. And I guess that might even come in lashing out or appear in different ways, I guess, perhaps. Yeah. So I think this is something that a lot of people don't learn even in adulthood. And that's not that you have to mask because I think masking is associated with really negative connotations, especially for neurodivergent folks. Masking is exhausting. Mm-hmm. We don't want to mask. Like We don't want to mask our stims or our different social behaviors we want to kind of let them all hang out so that they're not repressing our body and making us more exhausted Mm. but our self-regulation skills our coping mechanisms the way that we release that tension and help our kids navigate that as well that's what can change because we can't stop things that are outside of our control we can't Mm -hmm. change a world that isn't designed for our brain we can't change our temperament and the way that the environment interacts with our nervous system we can't change those things and well we can to a certain degree but for your little kids who have to go to school you can't change those things Mm -hmm. so what we can do instead is we can find more adaptive and healthy ways to regulate our emotions and that's through all those things that I was talking about how we can mitigate after school restraint collapse using all those methods are ways that we can help our child navigate the release of emotions that will come. So it might be through physical activity, all those endorphins will help reduce all of that anxiety and stress that's kind of building up in your child's body and your body. Mm -hmm. And then when you're an adult, things like a guided meditation, focusing on breathing, there are so many things you can do to help your body and they're going to come down to things that work for you. So guided meditation and mindfulness might not work for everyone or you might feel like you don't have the time to do it but what you do have the time for is breathing when you're driving so Mm -hmm. uh, one thing I practice very often is breathing focusing on getting out of my brain thinking and into observing the way my body feels when I breathe and one thing that works really well for me and that I will eventually teach my two-year-old she doesn't quite understand breathing yet but 
it's really mm-hmm. powerful for me. That's breathing in for like five seconds and breathing out for 10 seconds. When you're breathing and regulating your breathing, your nervous system is getting the cue, oh, we're not in danger. We mm-hmm. can calm down now because we're not hyperventilating. And then also when you breathe out for longer than you breathe in, it activates your parasympathetic nervous system. So although breathing sounds really fluffy, because, hey, I thought that too, mm-hmm. when you drill down into the science and how breathing affects the nervous system, it really makes sense and you can truly believe in what breathing is doing for you. And then when you're focusing on like feeling where your air is going in your body and then how it's coming out, you're getting out of that thinking mind that's negative and into your observing mind because you're now observing the way your body feels instead. And that's also helping. And these are things you do as an adult. And these are things we can slowly teach our children as well. It's hard to do that. And it's always in a pursuit of progress because self-regulation skills are developed alongside the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex doesn't develop fully until mid-adulthood, like mid-20s. And I think from what I've read, it's around the age of 12 that kids really start to use self-regulation skills Hmm. effectively. And until then, they generally need co-regulation and support and reminders that they need to help calm their body down. So it's a learning process for these kinds of things. So Mm -hmm. technically, there is no end in sight for after-school restraint collapse if it's something that your child's temperament and brain is inclined to do. But there are many ways that you can reduce it. There are many ways you can teach your child healthier ways to respond to this Mm -hmm. and to help calm their body down. And those skills are going to be really important for the rest of their lives because you're teaching them how to handle their emotions, how to handle the physiological response of the body to those emotions. And hopefully it means that when I raise my child this way, she won't struggle with her emotions in the same way I did for my entire life because Mm -hmm. she now has the skills and understands them better to be able to navigate them so she never has to deal with the fear associated with your emotions in quite the same way that I did. That's kind of what you're the aim that you're trying to go for and it's not bleak. It's not like your kid's got after school restraint collapse and you're forever going to be stuck with it and it's going to suck for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. It's just that you're going to teach them these skills and those skills are so important because it's going to help them for the rest of their life. I really appreciate that perspective. And it's like a teachable moment. And I think about my son and how it's definitely improved for us. So what we've done to improve that and what has worked for us. And for him, I can't always, depending on my schedule, but for the most part, his dad picks him up and I can greet him at the front door when he walks home. So I will be at the front. I will help him get his winter gear off. Otherwise, he flops to the floor, pretty much screams and yells and waits for me to come. So Mm -hmm. if I can like greet him at the door, uh, like we collaboratively help him take his stuff off, Mm -hmm. though he's almost five, though he's capable, though I could make him do it himself, all of those things, you know, I support him through that. I help him hang up his stuff. I hold his hand. We walk to the dinner table. Just greeting him for the transition in. Mm-hmm. helps significantly for him. Mm-hmm. And he has a really strong preference for me in mm-hmm. our like parenting dynamic. So, you know, I think that that is very meaningful for him. And then we also have other things so he can get his wiggly energy out. And like we put a sensory swing in his room and he can like do all kinds of fun things with that. It hangs from his ceiling and feels like a little cocoon when he's inside it. And and so we try to meet some of those sensory needs in other ways too. And I think that so much of this comes from, and like as I was listening to you speak, we've had experience of managing our own distressing emotions or my own neurodivergent brain through my whole life. And what I don't want is for him to feel not good enough or like a bad kid or like any of these things that any of us may have felt when we disrupted the routine in some way like it's not intentional and when we can really tap into that and support them as best as we can not always perfect that's for dang sure you know but seeing it through this lens I think is going to help so many parents and kiddos so thank you thank you for taking the time to unpack this with us today you are very welcome and I'll leave you with one more piece of science because I think it's really cool yeah taking the perspective of your child will physically change the level of stress in your body. So when parents take the perspective of their child, or at least endeavor to try and understand what their child is experiencing, 
it will reduce the amount of cortisol, which is the stress hormone in your body, which means Mm. that if your stress isn't as high, you are better able to navigate it. So just trying to take that perspective, understanding more about what's going on in the child's brain by simply listening to your podcast and understanding the way that children's brains work will reduce the amount of stress you feel and make you more capable of handling your child's behaviors. I love that. I love that. It speaks so much about how our nervous systems co-regulate with one another as we mm-hmm. attune to each other, right? It's a really complex and messy and beautiful and imperfect thing. Mm-hmm. And we're learning more about it every day. And we definitely don't do this perfectly. And, and when we don't, as you said, there's such room for repair. Mm-hmm. I like to think of our relationships and these interactions as not being brittle, but very flexible and elastic and they have give to them. And that's the nature of relationships. There's room for imperfection and humanity in them. And we're modeling great things by making those repairs and working through this with our kiddos. So Mm. thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Where do you hang out online? Where can people find all the science that you're putting out? (laughs) And so I hang out on TikTok primarily, which is just at Dr. Kristen Summer. And then I hang out on Instagram as well. That's my second platform. I'm on most platforms. I'm just not as consistent as I am on TikTok. I have a website, which again is just drkristensummer.com, mm-hmm. where you can find my peer-reviewed publications. You can find all of my digital content. I've just made everything free. Like there's a board game for toddlers that helps you connect with your child. There's a sensory cookbook. Yeah, I've just made it all free because I have a job, so I don't need to pay my mortgage. So everything Mm. is free. And then I also have a podcast with Siobhan from Science Minded where we just talk all things kids and nerd out over the child brain. So that's Parenting Unpacked. But yeah, I am everywhere all the time. (laughs) I love it. And we'll link all of that in the show notes so people can easily navigate to you and find you. And we're having Siobhan on in a couple of weeks, actually, Mm -hmm. to talk some attachment science, which is really exciting. So you guys make a great team. (laughs) We're going to have to like roundtable it one time and take on a topic. That'd be so exciting. That'll be fun. (laughs) Yeah. So thank you again. And if you're looking to connect with Dr. Kristen, you can find all her details in the show notes. Thank you. Bye. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for me. Everything I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? Because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.